Tiwari's entire refrain is built on layers and layers of such misrepresentations, convoluted logic and plain fibs. It would take all day if I undertake to deconstruct the elaborate slander. So let me take up some basic concepts uh, which give us an idea of the times and help fit facts correctly in the picture because one can endlessly keep perpetuating misconceptions and prejudice. The alternative is to gain a perspective with which to understand and learn from past events. The first one is the term leftist, which Tiwari uses abundantly to show Bose as a communist. You will find Subhash Bose also emphatically identified himself as a leftist. But the left, center and right political positions in those days were different from today, as in uh, right representing the Hindu nationalists, uh, the center the secularists and the left the communists. Left in those days denoted the faction, especially those within the Congress that stood for aggressive uh, means of winning the rights of Indians and ultimately freedom, colloquially known as Karamdal. So all of these, Lal, Bal, Pal, Chitranjandas, Vithal Bhai Patel, Motilal Nehru, Narsimha, Chintaman Kelkar, etc. were known as leftists or even extremists. It was these people who were known as the Swarajists and who eventually formed the separate Swaraj party. In Subhash Bose's own words, in the present political phase of Indian life, leftism means anti-imperialism. A genuine anti-imperialist is one who believes in undiluted independence, not Mahatma Gandhi's substance of independence as the political objective and in uncompromising national struggle as the means for attaining it. He described those with a softer approach, the Naramdal, as those prepared for a deal with imperialism. About the difference in their aims, he writes, the goal of the Congress as defined in the Constitution had been self-government within the British Empire. This had antagonized all those congressmen who believed in the severance of the British connection or who refused to be tied down to the empire. To enable the left-wingers to return to the Congress poll, the goal of the Congress was declared to be Swaraj, which means literally self-rule and it was left to individual congressmen to define Swaraj in their own way. Mr. Gandhi, however, defined Swaraj to mean self-government within the empire if possible and outside if necessary. So Gandhi and his followers had no mission of independence at all. That's why the parties Swaraj and Forward Bloc were formed. Communists were a different class of politicians altogether. CPI was established in 1920s. Its leaders were Satyadanand Vishnu Ghate, Manavendranath Roy, etc. And true to the Marxist doctrine, they tried their violent revolutionary means to upstage the British, but not out of nationalist sentiment. They all had these extraterritorial loyalties towards Russia, various communist leaders abroad, and their ideology above the nation. Bose repudiated communism in the clearest terms in his elaborately laid out criticisms of uh, communism. He wrote, 
to introduce fresh cleavage within our ranks by talking openly of class war and working for it appears to me at the present moment to be a crime against nationalism. To what straits we may be reduced by a malassimilation of Karl Marx and Bakunin becomes manifest when we come across a certain class of Indian laborites or communists if you call them so who openly advocate the use of British or foreign cloth on the plea of internationalism. If I had the remotest intention of becoming a Bolshevik agent, I would have jumped at the offer made and taken the first available boat to Europe. If I succeeded in recouping my health, I could then have joined the gay band who trot about from Paris to Leningrad, talking of world revolution and emitting blood and thunder in their utterances. But I have no such intention or desire. So Bose was well aware of the folly of socialist casteist ideas which other Indian leaders and writers were, are till now easily deceived by and have been inserting permanent fissures within Indian society. Subhash Chandra Bose was very clear in stating that the communist model of internationalism was incompatible with, the, in, with India because it is removed from her spiritual ethos and that India, in India, a national awakening is in most cases heralded by a religious reformation and a cultural renaissance. There was an incident during Bose's arrest in October 1924. The British wanted to keep him in longer and remove him uh, to a far off place since they saw him as dangerous. They therefore tried to devise stronger charges against him to defame him and among these uh, was the charge of corresponding with communist leaders abroad. Bose was forced to file a defamation petition through his brother, vehemently denying the charges. So, association with communists was actually seen as an ignominious circumstance. Subsequently, the communists have consistently tried to appropriate the revolutionary nationalist legacy. Characters of the Indian revolutionary movement are portrayed in their writings as communists. For example, Surya Sen. There is a movie on Master Da Surya Sen in which Indian revolutionaries are shown giving the slogan Kranti Ki Jai Ho, whereas this was never the revolutionaries call. They were entirely motivated by devotion for the motherland and their cry was Vande Mataram. Then Bhagat Singh, Jugantar, the 1857 mutiny, they portray them all as communist movements and personalities and Subhash Chandra Bose, which is funny considering that uh, these communists used to abuse Subhash Bose in the profanest terms in their publications, which I am not reproducing here for the sake of brevity, but they hated the Indian National Army, they were West loyalists. They snooped on INA operatives and acted as British informants in the war period and uh, the right wing dopes. They actually advance uh, the leftist narrative and deprecate their own icons. They are a brainless and petty lot, completely lacking perspective and only intent on one upmanship against one another and self-promotion. There is a concept in Silicon Valley. When startups want to raise funds, they project their technology as disruptive technology to get the attention of venture capitalists and the HNIs. This is what these so-called uh, scholars do 
come up with sensational theories to grab the attention of people and unfortunately these are readily lapped up by a section that subscribes to these prejudicial ideas. Tiwari refers to Bose all through in his litany as a Marxist secularist. The reason Subhash Bose founded the forward block. This is again a case of uh, anachronist distortion. Truth is, forward block was formed around four years after the Swaraj party had disintegrated in the time when Bose was in Mandalay prison and soon after Chitranjan Das died. Bose subsequently found it impossible to come to terms with Gandhian tyranny and had to leave uh, the Congress. But like the Swaraj party, forward block was a part of the Congress and represented the more fiery and forceful elements among them. It was known as forward block of the Indian National Congress. So when did this change? In February 1946, when a forward block workers assembly was held in Jabalpur and at this point Indian communists uh, started infiltrating the party. The session resulted in a declaration. Forward Bloc is a socialist party, accepting the theory of class struggle in its fullest implications and a program of revolutionary mass action for the attainment of socialism leading to a classless society. This was a marked departure from Subhash Bose's policy and vision. No wonder this did not go down well with the Swarajist nationalists and the party split forming into two factions. Uh, Forward Bloc Subhashist, the uh, nationalist faction led by Ramchandra Sakharam Ruikar and Sardul Singh Kavishar, and Forward Bloc Marxist, the communist faction led by Shil Bhadrayagi and Kishore Narsingh Joglikar. Thereafter, in February 1948, a party national council meet was held in Varanasi, in which it was decided to sever all ties with Indian National Congress. This was actually a reaction to a Congress uh, decision earlier that year to expel all dissenting tendencies within the Congress. Thereafter, a lot of splits happened, uh, especially after uh, Sharad Bose died. But uh, basically, the leftist Marxist character of our block in its various permutations and combinations and avatars was acquired over a couple of decades after Subhash and Sharad Bose's deaths. Now the concept of secularism, communalism and nationalism in those days. Tiwari is outraged that Subhash Bose describes the Hindu Mahasabha as a communal party, speaking of them in the same terms as the Muslim League. And he refers to the Indian National Congress as nationalist, just as the politics of today. But the term communal also did not have the same connotations that time as today. Firstly, the term secularism as counterposed with communalism was not much in circulation at that time. It was hardly used. The opposite of the term communalism was nationalism. And this simply meant that some parties uh, catered to limited community interests while others were nationalist in orientation. It is in this sense that the words of Subhash Chandra Bose after a meeting with Savarkar on June 21st or 22nd, 1940 have to be regarded. Bose had said, 
Mr. Jinnah was then thinking only of how to realize his plan of Pakistan with the help of the British. Mr. Savarkar seemed to be oblivious of the international situation and was only thinking how Hindus could secure military training by entering Britain's army in India. From these interviews, the writer himself uh, was forced to the conclusion that nothing could be expected from either the Muslim League or the Hindu Mahasabha. Alighting out of this meeting, Bose appeared somewhat disappointed in terms of the outcome and his words that time have been used by leftist secularist writers to claim Bose as their own, as these have been used by our friend Tiwari to implicate him as anti-Hindu. Bose's outlook was principally nationalistic, who did not want the intrinsic weaknesses of Indians to come in the way of their greatness as a nation in the world stage as he envisioned India. He appears frustrated in his attempt to build a broad coalition for a nationwide movement against the British government and was clearly disappointed with both. To understand this better, let us take a look at how Aurobindo thought about these two characters at the opposite ends of the spectrum. He says, strange as it may appear, Mr. Savarkar and Mr. Jinnah instead of being opposed to each other on the one nation versus two nations issue are in complete agreement about it. Both agree, not only agree, but insist that there are two nations in India, one the Muslim nation and the other the Hindu nation. This was the cause for Bose's frustration. He was aware that if India failed to bridge this gap, she will be fractured and weakened, which would suit the imperialists' designs just as they had been successful in doing in other parts of the world. This was the feeling of all leaders with a nationalist orientation and this is what uh, even Aurun Bindu said. India is free, but she has not achieved unity, only a fissured and broken freedom. The old communal division into Hindu and Muslim seems to have hardened into the figure of a permanent political division of the country. It is to be hoped that the Congress and the nation will not accept the settled fact as forever settled or as anything more than a temporary expedient. For if it lasts, India may be seriously weakened, even crippled. Civil strife may remain always possible, possible even a new invasion and foreign conquest. The partition of the country must go. It is to be hoped by a slackening of tension by a progressive understanding of the need of peace and concord, by the constant necessity of common and concerted action, even of an instrument of union for that purpose. In this way, unity may come about under whatever form. The exact form may have a pragmatic but not a fundamental importance. But by whatever means, the division must and will go. For without it, the destiny of India might be seriously impaired and even frustrated but that must not be. These words echo the thought and motivation of Subhash Bose. Now, Savarkar was also in this group that did not want partition. As Aurobindo says further, they, Savarkar and Jinnah, differ only as regards the terms and conditions on which the two nations should live. Mr. Jinnah says India should be cut up into two, Pakistan and Hindustan, the Muslim nation to occupy Pakistan, and the Hindu nation to occupy Hindustan. Mr. Savarkar, on the other hand, insists that 
Although there are two nations in India, India shall not be divided into two parts, one for Muslims and the other for the Hindus, that the two nations shall dwell in one country and shall live under the mantle of one single constitution, that the constitution shall be such that the Hindu nation will be enabled to occupy a predominant position that is due to it and the Muslim nation made to live in the position of subordinate cooperation with the Hindu nation. Now, this is faithful to the ideology that Savarkar represents, but it does not address how this ideal situation is going to be achieved. Would Muslims accept the proposition of a predominant position of Hindus? If indeed partition was not acceptable as an option, the only other option was accepting a workable compromise that ensured mutual coexistence and peace. This entailed a hard-headed, honest look at the differences, sensitivities, triggers and to develop a scope of cooperation. This is what the Bengal Pact did and the Lucknow Pact of 1916 proposed to do. This cannot happen from a rigid ideological position. Fact is, even until this time, most people did not, could not conceive of a partition of India. This is the reason for limited appeal of both these parties, uh, which we will look at presently. S. Krishna here in a forward block issue of December 30th, 1939, writes of Savarkar as follows. And it can be assumed it reflects uh, Bose's view as well, since he used to edit uh, this maxim. Mr. Savarkar has evidently been, been embittered by the sinister growth of Muslim communalism in the country. It is undoubtedly a most sickening and dangerous phenomenon in Indian politics today. But his panacea for the grave evil is undoubtedly of a desperate nature. It is neither practicable nor prudent to divide the country into warring camps and thus prepare it for a future bloodbath. These lines clearly reveal Bose's acknowledgement of the Muslim menace and an understanding of Savarkar's reason. Yet, he stressed on a practical solution for bridging the widening chasm, failing which the only casualty would be Indian nation-owned. Now, were there any Muslim nationalists to work with? Sarvesh Tiwari has a problem that Fazlul Haq is uh, referred to as a nationalist Muslim by Bose. But he neglects to tell you that during the Khilafat movement, Haq led the anti-Hilafat non-cooperation faction within the Bengal Provincial Muslim League against the pro-Ottoman faction. He was like the Swarajists. He favoured working uh, within the constitutional framework uh, rather than boycotting legislatures and colleges. He was instrumental in the Lucknow Pact between the Indian National Congress and the Muslim League, which was a hope of bringing a resolution to the differences between the two communities, the communities to about partition. He concurrently held the presidentship of Muslim League and the general secretaryship of Congress. He resigned uh, from Congress later. Now, Diarchy gave way to an autonomous provincial system with the Government of India Act of 1935, which replaced provincial ministries responsible to legislatures for some of the functions of government with ministries responsible for all. And 
even though fazlul haq won the elections of bengal provincial council with heavy majority he gave half the positions in his cabinet to hindus his second government formed in december 1941 was a coalition and supported by whom not the muslim league haq had been ousted from the league after a conflict with uh, jinnah supporters included the krishak praja party led by shamsuddin ahmed the forward bloc swarajist members of the bengal congress and the hindu mahasabha led by shama prasad mukherjee even in this cabinet hindus and muslims were evenly represented in fact savarkar expressed appreciation for the successful functioning of the government under fazlul haq the same who tiwari calls a jihadi it was after haq's resignation forced by the british governor that muslim league separatist politics came to the fore in bengal haq later joined the bengal krishak praja party which staunchly opposed the idea of pakistan it should be understood that the government of india act of 1935 was not really well meaning it was actually meant to break india to several pieces by increasing the power of the provinces uh, princely states and minority communities who refused to let the congress which pitched itself and was perceived as a nationalist uh, as a national party to speak for them the communal award of 1932 was a prelude to it creating separate electorates for minority religions and the so called depressed classes and reserved seats and this is what uh, fierce nationalists like bose were against creating factions instead of reinforcing the national identity they saw merit in measures that mainstreamed all uh, identities into a national one and bose's statement which tiwari is portraying negatively affirmed this view the introduction of khilafat uh, of the khilafat question into indian politics was unfortunate as has already been pointed out if the khilafatist muslims had not started a separate organization but had joined the indian national congress the consequences would not have been so undesirable this is not appeasement it was not said to justify the violence uh, that resulted from the khilafat affair he was against ghettoization of identities which can turn any community against the uh, national identity this is what muslim league politics began with first demanding se- reservations then separate electorates and finally separate nations didn't we see it happening with the sikhs dalit minorityism buddhist separatism even some jains have started this hindu hostile discourse the story of uh, shaivites persecuting the jains in madurai etc the problem therefore is more with minority identity politics rather than minority itself creating factions based on minority identities is anti national it is equal to conceding that minority aspirations will not be fulfilled within the national identity ironically we continue the uh, same politics today this is what subhash post meant by communalism stating that muslims and hindus are separate nations is communalism irrespective whether it is said aggressively uh, like muslim league or defensively like mahasabha and even if the latter did not actually want partition 
one has to acknowledge that Muslim communal aspirations are going to remain, no matter how many parts you cut out of your country. It has to be minimized and managed by mainstreaming, making them believe that their aspirations will be fulfilled by a united nation only. Clearly, a whole lot of Muslims pre-partition also thought so. This will not work by making differences with their worldview the ground for permanent antagonism. It is quite clear from Bose's calculated and clear-cut uh, moves in Germany that he knew well enough how the Muslim mind worked. But he realized that it had to be negotiated, not negated and neutralized from interfering with the national process. This Akhand Bharat picture, which the Virat Hindus based on their profiles, but are clueless in reality how this is going to be achieved. Bose was actually working towards it. He had a much greater vision of India. This cannot be achieved in an ideologues, ideologues purist dream. It needs a very clear mind in touch with real politics. So, what were the realistic prospects? One has to remember that until 1937, Muslim League politics continued to be focused on India rather than separatism. Even in the 1930 declaration of Muhammad Iqbal, the idea was of a federal structure within an Indian confederacy. Muslim League politics weared off towards separatism in 1940 with the Lahore Resolution. In this, Haq had actually proposed several autonomous Muslim-majority states rather than a unified Pakistan. It is notable that delegates of Punjab and Bengal were firmly opposed to the idea of Pakistan. They were for autonomous states based on ethnicity and uh, religious demography. Muslim League started their mobilization for Pakistan 1937 onwards under Jinnah with processions and strikes etc. They did not have significant success. Even the students and faculty of Aligarh Muslim University supported the All India Nationalist Movement until 1939. Muslim League for the first time started attracting masses after the Lahore Resolution. And even then they did not by any means represent the majority of Muslims. In opposition to the Lahore Resolution, a gathering of the All India Azad Muslim Conference a huge coalition of nationalist Muslims representing multiple organizations came together in Delhi in April 1940, giving a call for a united India. The attendance at this rally was reported to be about five times than the attendance at the League meeting. They fiercely opposed separatist Muslims. Their leaders were the Deobandi scholar Maulana Saeed Hussain Ahmed Madani. He travelled across British India, spreading the idea that he wrote about in his book, Composite Nationalism and Islam, <clears throat> which uh, stood for Hindu-Muslim unity and opposed the concept of partition of India. One of the very popular uh, leaders was Allah Baksh Sumro. He was murdered in uh, 1943, most likely by Muslim League goons. And after his uh, demise, it is said, it became easier for the All India Muslim League to push the demand for creation of Pakistan. Then there was the Unionist Party of Punjab, 
with leaders like Sikandar Hayat Khan, Fazli Hassan and Chotu Ram, which stood for united Punjabi identity, including Muslims, Sikhs and Hindus. Like the Swarajists, uh, they had prevailed in Punjab politics until 1923 and dominated right up till the 1937 provincial elections in which Muslim League uh, lost dismally. Muslim League was a very elitist outfit and not until the 1946 provincial elections did they have any significant electoral wins. There was another movement in Punjab, the Khaksas of Allama Mashriki. I am surprised that Sarvesh Tiwari labels Mashriki as a jihadi. The Khaksas were kind of Islamic Unitarians, if you will. They believed in unity of the divine and of mankind and rejected Islamic exclusivity and the idea of jihad. They were fiercely opposed to the partition agenda of Muslim League. They were known to have saved many Hindu and Sikh lives in the partition violence. Some Khaksar volunteers gave up their own lives trying to save them. The organization also fought many INA cases. They did want a dispensation by majority Muslims, but they cannot be called jihadis. This is a case of tilting at the windmills, which Virat Hindus do all the time. Then there were the Khudai Khidmatgar, led by Khan Abdul Ghaffar Khan, and scores of others Anjumani Watan, Baluchistan, All India Jamur Muslim League, All India Momin Conference, Jamayat Ulema-e Hind, Majlis e Harar Ul Islam. All, All India Momin Conference, All India Shia Political Conference, uh, Krishak Praja Party, All India Muslim Majlis, Jamayat Ahli Hadis, and many Christian and uh, Sikh groups as well. So, was Bose uh, ignorant about Muslim separatism and pan-Islamism? In one of his Radio Azad Hind broadcasts, he says, I appeal to the brave Majlis-e-Aharar, the Nationalist Muslim Party of India that started the civil disobedience campaign in 1939 against Britain's war effort before any other party did so. I appeal to the Jamaatul Ulema, the old representative organization of the Ulemas or the Muslim Divines of India, led by that distinguished patriot and leader Mufti Kefatullah. I appeal to the Azad Independent Muslim League another important organization of the nationalist Muslims of India. I appeal to the Akali Dal, the leading nationalist Sikh party of India. And last but not the least, I appeal to the Praja party of Bengal, which commands the confidence of that province and is led by well-known patriots. I have no doubt that if all these organizations join in this struggle, the day of India's liberation will be drawn nearer. As can be seen, the appeal is addressed selectively to those Muslim organizations that stood for a unified India, something that he desperately strove for. Bose's idea was to harness these sentiments of unity rather than alienating them with uh, hardline postures. We have today in India created one block of all these divergent streams of Muslims because of minoritism and then we complain Muslims act as a block. This is exactly what Bose was against. He was rallying Muslims who identified with the Indian nation rather than pan-Islamism. And if there weren't any nationalist Muslims, why do Hindu nationalists today talk uh, to people like Tarek Fateh, Taslim Anasreen, 
ताहिर गोरा खालिद उमर विराट हिंदू रैली बिहाइंड दीज पीपल तिवारी हैज ऑल्सो क्लेम दैट बोस वॉज एम्बीवेलेंट ऑन द क्वेश्चन ऑफ पार्टिशन बेसिंग दिस ऑन अ सिंगुलर सेंटेंस दैट ही पिक्स आउट फ्रॉम वन ऑफ द आजाद हिंद ब्रॉडकास्ट वेर बोस एक्चुअली थ्रो इज अ कैलकुलेटेड डेट एट चिना दैट पाकिस्तान कुड बी क्रिएटेड ओनली ओनली Tiwari ignores the literally hundreds of emphatic statements before and after this from Bose vehemently opposing partition and fleeing Jinnah and the Muslim League. The particular broadcast where he is quoting from has long passages before this sentence addressing all nationalist sentiments to come together for independence. He mentions the nationalist Muslim organizations to keep up their struggle for a united India. he elaborately explains how anglo american internationalism exploits uh, divisions to break up nations weaken them and dominate them he says uh, that the british you support will break you up and keep exploiting you a quote uh, from this address the union jack would then fly not only over the capital of india as at present but over the capitals of hindustan pakistan rajasthan Khalistan and Pathanistan and the Indian people would be given a British guarantee of permanent enslavement let Mr Muhammad Ali Jinnah and his Muslim League ponder over this and then he says uh, that line for Jinnah ke bhai bina independence ke to aapko Pakistan bhi nahi milega meaning why not come together uh, for the sake of independence because Muslim League was supporting the British for in return extracting the promise of Pakistan This entire speech Tiwari has not mentioned. He only picks out that single line to portray Bose as equivocating on Pakistan. Is this not dishonesty? Without the slightest chance of a doubt, Bose was a fierce nationalist who could never be persuaded to accept partition at no cost, unlike politicians and ideologues of that time who did. had he been there he would have done all his all to prevent it and very likely succeeded tiwari denies uh, that mujibur rahman's words conveyed an element of bose's appeal among muslims but reproducing that quote from mujib's biography when we listen to subhash bose addressing us on the radio from singapore we used to get excited it seemed to us that if he managed to land his troops in bengal it would be easy for us to oust the english but then again it occurred to us that having him in bengal would not bring us any nearer to pakistan and what would happen to the millions of muslims of the country then but then again i thought that someone who could leave everything in his country to spearhead a movement for its independence could never be parochial in his outlook in my mind my respect for subhash bose continued to grow clearly he saw bose's appeal among indians beyond parochial boundaries tiwari's disconnect lies in viewing the hindu mahasabha as the pivot of hindus but was it really so fact of the matter is they had absolutely no representation among hindus his view of indian national congress as anti national is based on the present day perceptions not how the party was regarded at that time it was very much a nationalist party and also a hindu representation primarily 
And this is clear from Bose's statement, which Tiwari is misrepresenting as anti-Hindu. Hindu Mahasabha has come forward to play a political role and to make a bid for the political leadership of Bengal, or at least of the Hindus of Bengal, who have been the backbone of nationalism in this country. With a real Hindu Mahasabha, we have no quarrel and no conflict. But with a political uh, Hindu Mahasabha, that seeks to replace the Congress in the political life of Bengal and for that purpose has already taken the offensive against us, a fight is inevitable. This fight has just begun. He is clear that Hindu Mahasabha as representatives of Hindu communal interests are acceptable. This was Savarkar's reasoning too, that as long as Muslim League existed, there should be an organization that represented Hindu rights as well. But Bose was clear that this subjective limited viewpoint could not replace or derail the nationalist vision. One quote where he articulates the problem and uh, the task of genuine nation builders. I believe that what is wanted most of all is the will to be one nation and to hold together as one nation when foreign domination ceases. Thus to my mind the problem of unity is largely a psychological problem. The people must be educated and drilled to feel that they are one nation. Other factors like uh, language, dress, food, etc. may help unity but cannot create it. How much was Hindu Mahasabha true to their purest ideology, really? The Government of India Act of 1935 ended up having the opposite effect of what it was intended to undermine the Congress's appeal as a national party because Congress ended up winning most provincial councils in the 1937 provincial assembly elections. In 1939, in protest against Viceroy Lord Linlithgow's action of declaring India as a belligerent in the Second World War without consulting the Indian representatives, Congress ministers resigned or were made to resign by the high command. As a result, the provincial governments ceased to exist, much to the joy of the British and the Muslim League. Jinnah exulted, I wish the Muslims all over India to observe Friday 22nd December as the day of deliverance and thanksgiving as a mark of relief that the Congress regime has at last ceased to function. I hope that the provincial, district and primary Muslim leagues all over India will hold public meetings and pass the resolution with such modification as they may be advised and after Jumma prayers offer prayers by way of thanksgiving for being delivered from the unjust Congress regime. And who supported them at this time? The Hindu Mahasabha. They got together with Muslim League to form governments in Sindh northwest frontier province and Bengal. They tried to form a government with them in Punjab as well. Then in 1943, the Hindu Mahasabha members joined hands with Sardar Aurangzeb Khan of the Muslim League to form a government in northwest frontier province. And in March 1943, when Sindh government became the first provincial assembly of the subcontinent to pass an official resolution in favor of the creation of Pakistan. Hindu Mahasabha was part of that government and did not think of resigning on matter of principle. So where was their Hindutva that time? 
Subhash Bose's above comment that Tiwari selectively quotes to Bose's disadvantage came in the context of similar double dealing by many Bengal Hindu Mahasabha members in the municipal elections. In the same passage, Bose has also referred to nationalist members in Hindu Mahasabha. But did Savarkar and Bose differ significantly in their views? Tiwari brushes away Bose's deep spiritual inclinations and his uh, love for the motherland rooted in his beliefs, saying that they were just personal beliefs. But can you name any other leader who professed such deep faith in the divine? Nehru, Padel, Savarkar, Shamaprasad? I quote Bose's words in a letter written to his mother in 1912-1913 as a tender 15-year-old. How much longer shall we sleep? How much longer shall we go on playing with non-essentials? Shall we continue to turn a deaf ear to the wailings of our nation? Our ancient religion is suffering the pangs of near death. Does that not stir our hearts? How long can one sit with folded arms and watch the state of our country and religion? In the summer of 1914, he made off from his home accompanied by a friend for a pilgrimage and to look for a guru that he had been seeking for a long time. He talks of the sacred rivers and the chardhams and the ideals held forth by Shankaracharya, Swami Vivekananda and Aurobindo on Hinduism as the fundamental identity and essence of Indians, uh, he writes, though geographically, ethnologically and historically India represents an endless diversity to any observer, there is nonetheless a fundamental unity underlying this diversity. The most important cementing factor has been the Hindu religion. North or south, east or west, wherever you may travel, you will find the same religious ideas, the same culture and the same tradition. All Hindus look upon India as the holy land. Everywhere the same scriptures are read and followed and the epics, the Mahabharat and the Ramayana are equally popular wherever you travel. In Mandalay Jail, he wrote an article on muscular Hinduism in which he noted how Christianity and Islam had created empires by converting millions and chalked out plans to separate Hinduism as far as Africa as a crusading, proselytizing religion with a zest and influence to match that of Islam and Christianity. He talked about the need to regenerate the Aryan blood. As I wander about the hills, I think about this very often. The sense of power must permeate our entire being, meaning the Hindus. We again have to leap across mountains. It was only when Aryans did such things that they were able to produce the Vedas. How is this different from the view of Navagopal Mitra, who Sarvesh Tiwari holds out as a Hindutva icon? So, concentrating on Hindu communal interests and chalking out the destiny of India as a powerful Hindu nation are two separate aspects. On the former, they had separate perspectives. Bose did not see Savarkar's narrow focus as expedient to his grand design for India. On the latter, his and Savarkar's views were perfectly identical. If it was said that Bose was not a Hindutva icon, that would be acceptable. He was not an ideologue. But it is egregious to claim that he was a Marxist secularist or a Muslim appeaser or anti-Hindu. <laughs> 